Sister Haingim is the translator of this new book that just came out in French, The Novice. It's the story of Guanam Tikin. Sister Dinyan will come and tell us a little bit about this book. And how it was translated. This book is one of my favorite books because every time I read this story, I cry. (laughs) And the brothers and sisters, we have often played skits of the story in this book. The first day when you arrived here, you heard the chant to Avalokiteshvara, Namo Avalokiteshvara. I feel so nervous when I have to stand next to Thai. I just can't speak normally. I forgot what I wanted to say. So it's the story of Avalokiteshvara in Vietnam. And all Vietnamese people know this story. Thai took that legend and recast it full of compassion. If you read it, you will see, because in the back of the book, there's a comment, commentary by Sister Chung Kong giving more explanation a little bit about this legend. And Sister Haingim learned Vietnamese, and she translated this book directly from Vietnamese. She's very humble because when I sent her translation to the publication house, I wrote, published by, uh, translated by Sister Haingim. And when the publishing house sent it back for review, she erased her name and she put in, translated by the Plum Village community. When I received the book and I opened it, I was so surprised. What? I didn't know that she had changed the translation credit. And we really tried to make it possible for this book to arrive during the French retreat. And when it arrived in New Hamlet the other day, we were so glad, and I announced it. And the next day, a lady told me that right away she bought it, and she read it, and she said, it's just as exciting as a crime novel. She couldn't put it down. Sister Pine told me Uh, this book was translated into English and it was published by a very large U.S. publisher and uh, someone was reviewing the books and one person, one reviewer, one critic said, (laughs) Uh, 
she, she said that this writer said that it should get the Nobel Prize for Literature. Sister Pine takes care of a lot of the publishing of Thai's books, and that's why she knows about this. Now, Brother Fablin will tell us something about the five-year training program for young monastics. Five-year monastic training and service program. There are many young people here today. <laughs> dear Thai, dear friends, uh, my heart is also beating rather strongly. Thai is always playing this trick on us where he makes us come up all of a sudden and just talk about something. It's part of our training as monastics to say things without any preparation. Quite simply, the five-year monastic training and service program is a new door that Thai has opened and that the community has opened so that young people can taste monastic life, monastic training for five years before it was expected that you had to make a lifelong commitment only. And now we offer this option for young people to follow exactly the same training as all the other brothers and sisters, but just for a limited period of five years. Of course, they have the option afterwards to continue if they want to. So as I just said, the training is exactly the same. We wear exactly the same robe. We make the same vows. We live with the community. We participate fully in the community life. And after five years, we have the possibility of either returning to lay life and becoming an apprentice Dharma teacher, lay Dharma teacher. So maybe after one or two years of returning to lay life, they may be invited to receive the lamp transmission from Thai as Dharma teacher. So this is a new path of training for becoming a Dharma teacher in our tradition. And as young brothers and sisters, I can say, in my case, monastic life is very, very rich, very joyful. In five years already, we can taste many, many fruits of the practice. The brotherhood and sisterhood is the most wonderful value of monastic life. We do everything together. We do everything in brotherhood and sisterhood and in joy. 
we, we already begin to dissolve some of our sense of individual self. We feel that we're in a big family. I'm very happy to be able to share about this possibility with many young people and to, to make it clear. I think it's up to 32 or 35, I'm not quite sure. 35? What is it? 32? I don't know. But it's on the website. But if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to come to ask the brothers and sisters. Thank you. Sister Haingim can say something too. For me, the enthusiasm that I feel for the five-year program of monastic training and service, well, myself, I have committed for life already, but I am now five years in the community, so is Faplin. And it's really taking refuge in a spiritual family and feeling supported living in an international family that teaches us so much and helps us, as Faplin said, to taste brotherhood, sisterhood, and joy. And it's a little bit like the program of studies you might see in a university. We, we, sometimes we cultivate talents that you could almost described as professional, and it's really a great bonus for young people to find a spiritual training and to find the direction for our life and whatever our career may be. And besides, it's free. It doesn't cost anything. We, the French brothers and sisters, were very happy to welcome new, younger brothers and sisters. We're very glad when we see French-speaking aspirants. Thank you. I would like to add, this is Thay now, I would like to add that if the young people don't know yet what they want to do with their life, this is an opportunity. And we can say the first day, from the first day on of monastic life, we can already begin to serve through our way of walking, our way of breathing, of looking. Because when we live in a community, we train ourselves to live in mindfulness, in the community, so we contribute to the generating of that energy of mindfulness that helps with the healing and transformation. And when we're with our elder brothers and sisters in the Dharma to organize we also practice. We practice and we organize practice for others. 
our presence in the Sangha is already service. So we have called this program the program of monastic training and service. And we may notice that we can very well help other people be happy, make them happy. Like in a retreat, we can see people transforming, reconciling, and right away we can see the fruits of this practice that nourishes us a lot and gives us a lot of joy. Myself, I have given 800 young people the opportunity to become monks and nuns, but we still need many more to be able to respond to the needs for practice of our society. In Germany, we have the European Institute of Applied Buddhism. We need at least 125 monks and nuns up there. Right now we have about 60. We also have the Asian Institute of Applied Buddhism in Hong Kong. And we need another 125 monastics there, but right now we have only 15. We need a greater number of monastics to be able to generate enough spiritual energy in the practice to be able to support the practice of the others who are thirsting for it. So we need hundreds and hundreds of new monastics to work with us and practice with us. So I invite you to think about this opportunity to serve. You know, life, monastic life here in Plum Village, is all about freedom. No one in the community has their own private bank account. No personal bank account. Nobody has their own car. Nobody has a personal cell phone. And yet we can live happily. We smile all the time. We practice freshness, solidity, freedom, stability. We build brotherhood and sisterhood that nourishes us and transforms us. It's possible to live simply with happiness. This is a demonstration. When you look at the monastic life, you can see that. Every month we have just 40 euros to buy toothpaste or things like that, but we don't need money. We don't need a bank account. 
and we're happy. We spend a lot less than people out in society. We help to protect the environment and so on. Yesterday, I spoke about Tenak, this village here. We have a monastic brother, Fapun Dharmasil, who is now the director of the European Institute of Applied Buddhism in Germany. He's one of our big brothers in the Sangha. One day during the summer retreat, He had a. He was sitting under the linden tree, and he saw a French commander coming in uniform, and a lot of French soldiers. It was like a vision he had that lasted for two minutes. The the retreatants were starting to arrive, and the Upper Hamlet brothers were still preparing to welcome all the retreatants. Fapun was there, and he had this vision of a French commander coming in with many French soldiers. And they were coming to sign up for the French retreat. And Fabon said, I'm sorry, it's full. It's not possible. We don't have any place for you to sleep. It's poss not possible. And the commander said, Don't worry about that. The only thing that matters is that you accept us, and the rest we can take care of. And then he woke up from his daydream. So there's a collective energy, a collective vision of transformation that we are building. We need the energy of peace, we need the energy of mindfulness in the world. And as we have already spent a number of years practicing peace, mindful breathing, mindful walking, and we have touched every square centimeter of this part of Tanakh with mindfulness, we have transformed this place. And the population living around us have reported that the energy has completely transformed since it was, from the way it was before we came. This is a collective work, not an individual one. The Sangha, with the collective energy of mindfulness, concentration, compassion, can change not just people, but an environment. So this is an asylum 
an oasis, a refuge. And that's why everyone is invited. to offer your support, your time, your practice, so that this flower may benefit more people, not only France, but in Europe, in America. Today we have the opportunity to enjoy a session of questions and answers. A good question can benefit many people. And we should ask a question of the heart, a question that has to do with the practice, with our suffering and our own happiness, no theory. If you have a question in your heart, you are invited to come up and sit here, near Thai, and you can take your turn to sit on this chair next to me so the Sangha can see you. And before asking your question, we will all listen to the sound of the bell and breathe in and out three times. It will help you to calm yourself. And from time to time, we will read a pre-written question. And we know that a good question doesn't need to be very long. If you're a little bit shy, you can write your question down on a piece of paper and ask someone to bring it up to Fablin and he he will choose a couple of questions from the stack. So, dear Sangha, here is the first question. of a friend to you. 
because it's too hard for my friend to come up and ask it himself. I will read you what she's asking. She wrote, Dear Thai, thank you very much for your teaching and thank you also to the Sangha for your welcome. Death is very present in my life. My husband, my big brother, my little brother, and now my son have all left me. I have understood with my mind, intellectually, the teaching about death, the cloud, and all of that. I understood the practice of mindfulness. But how do we practice when sadness takes takes everything over? How to practice when sadness is filling that great void of their absence? Tomorrow we will have a teaching on this theme. The whole Dharma talk will be about this, about life and death, which inter are. There is no life without death. There is no death without life. Life and death happen in every moment. We don't have to wait. Without death, there is no life. Without life, there is no death. There are two aspects of a single thing. So tomorrow, we will have a chance to hear an entire Dharma talk about life and death. So please just wait a little bit. Very dear Thay, I'm 44 years old and I feel so guilty for not having been loved in my childhood. My personal and love life I was, it's as if I was constantly seeking to relive that painful situation. But paradoxically, it reassures me because I know that situation. Can you tell me how to get out of this trap of the past? So she's continually getting herself back in situations where she's not loved. So I still carry, at the age of 44, 
the shame of not having been loved enough in my childhood. And I see that the way I I lead my personal and my love life, it's as if I'm trying to relive that painful situation. And paradoxically, it reassures me because I know it very well. Please, can you tell me how to get out of this trap of the past? This question has to do with the future and the past. If we have, if we do not have a good past, we can very well build a beautiful past using the present moment. If you were happy during your childhood, then you have a good past. That is the foundation of happiness in the present and the future. But if you did not have a good past, According to this teaching, it is possible to con construct, to build a good past using the present moment because we, we have seeds of love in us and when we know the Dharma and the practice, we can water the seed of love in us in every moment. And every time we water the seed of love, the energy of love forms. It, it's born in the present moment and it also passes into the past. So we have the chance every moment to create a good past through the present moment. So there doesn't have to be any regret. And the past will become the future because everything we think, everything we say, and everything we do is stockpiled in the past and is always preparing to re reassert itself in the future and to manifest in the present moment that arrives. So it's an open door. We need to use the present moment to be able to build our past. And that past will become the future and it will manifest in the present.
Gutei, dear community, could you help me how to offer my heart, how to open my heart? Are you afraid to love? I guess so. Because when we cannot open our heart, it's because we're afraid. Springtime is that time when all the flowers have the chance to open. And your heart is a flower too. And you have to give it permission to open. How? In this practice, we say love for ourselves is the foundation of being able to love someone else. To love doesn't mean just to love others. If we are capable of loving ourselves, then we can love another person. But if we cannot love ourselves, it would be impossible to love another person. And to love oneself, we have to be able to recognize the presence of suffering and pain in us. We need to listen deeply to our own suffering, our own pain. That is meditation. We embrace, we train ourselves to embrace our own suffering and pain. We listen deeply and we try to recognize the roots, the nature of that pain. That is the basic practice. With that, the understanding of the pain and the suffering will come, and that understanding will open your heart. We have to learn to love ourselves. If you know yourself well, if you understand your suffering, you can accept because that suffering is not an individual suffering. In that suffering, there is the suffering of our parents, of our ancestors, and in that suffering, there is the suffering of the world. So we shouldn't say, this is just my suffering. So understanding the suffering in ourself, we can also understand the suffering of our parents, of our ancestors. And that way, when we look at the other person, we can see very easily the suffering in him or in her, and our heart opens right away. So understanding of suffering is the key that can open your heart.
Thai dear Sangha. First of all, a big, big, big thank you for all that you taught us yesterday. I have so much happiness. And I hope one day there will be a book with all of that in it. I want to ask if you read the letter I sent you. I wrote you a letter. But in the meantime, I also want to ask, I am a mother. I've been married for 40 years. I have children and grandchildren. And I'm constantly conflicted between taking care of them and their happiness and at the same time losing myself. I don't know what to do with that. There's attachment. I need some clarification. And I promise I, I'll try to do what you teach me. Ty's getting a recap from Faplin. I think that mindfulness is the answer. Mindfulness allows us be aware, to be aware that life is here. To be lived. We have to live our life. And with mindfulness we can live it deeply. For example, when you make breakfast for the family, that's a chance to live. Making breakfast is not to have breakfast only. Joy is possible in every moment of the preparation of breakfast. We can enjoy our breathing. We can smile at everything that's there around us with awakening, with the understanding that life is there with all its wonders. So we can get deeply in touch with the wonders of life and we can celebrate life right away. If you think that preparing breakfast is just to have some breakfast to eat or to give your family something to eat, that's not enough. So when we walk, when we wash our hands, when we wash the dishes, we can do each of these things in a way that makes freedom, joy, and happiness possible. That's the training. For example, when you eat your breakfast, eating is not just to have something in our stomach. Eating can be a celebration of life. 
to sit there with our family or with friends, that's already a joy. If someone in the family is no longer there, we would cry, wouldn't we? But the whole family is right there. And sitting with other members of our Sangha, that's also a joy. So during the mealtime, we can touch the presence of others, recognize that we are there to live our life. We get in touch with the food, which is a gift of the sky and the earth. So mindfulness helps us to be in touch with the wonders of life. We can live every moment deeply. And then there is also suffering. And you want to relieve suffering. You want to help people to suffer less. You have that intention, that desire. And that will give you a lot of energy. the determination to help reduce the suffering not only of humans but also of other species, the suffering of the planet. So suffering can inspire you. And with that energy of love, with that understanding of suffering, we will be able to have a lot of strength energy to use every moment in the best way, every moment that's given to us to live. And then we don't have any regrets. We want to start to live every moment in this way. Every moment that is given us to live is full of wonders. Every moment is full of wonders. We should not waste it. We shouldn't waste a single moment. So every moment of the day is a jewel, a pearl. Every moment should be a moment of happiness. And this is something possible with mindfulness. It is possible to make a step with mindfulness and enjoy that step. I'm alive, and I'm taking steps on this magnificent planet. Awakening, understanding, joy are possible. We should not waste our life. What have you done with your life? Now the Buddha has given you, offered you a chance to wake up Awakening in every moment. Awakening is not a matter of the future. We need to wake up right away. Now. Albert Camus wrote a famous novel called The Stranger. The main character in the novel is Marceau, 
a young man who's been sentenced to death because he killed somebody. Three days before his execution date, in his jail cell, he suddenly caught a glimpse of a square of blue sky through the skylight. And he realized it was the first time he was in touch with the blue sky as a wonder. Albert Camus. said it was a moment of consciousness. So after this awakening, the character decided to live every moment that remained to him in mindfulness. And on the last day, a priest came to a priest came to, to receive his confession and administer the last rites. But Merceau was going to turn the priest away. He did everything he could to get the priest to leave as soon as possible because he didn't want to waste what little time remained for him in a conversation with him because he saw that that priest was not awakened. He was walking around just like a dead man. the one who was about to die was much more alive than the one who was coming along to administer the last rites. So this novel touched me a lot. That moment of awakening, consciousness is enlightenment. When we're awakened, we can cherish every moment of our life. And it's possible to live every moment of our life in mindfulness so that joy is possible with the support of the Sangha. It has to be possible. We should stick to our Sangha and not waste our life. A written question, Faplin? Dear Thay, dear Sangha, there's a question about video games online. There's a great number of young people who play, who spend a lot of time playing these games, often violent games, on the internet with other young people. So the question has to do with that. How can I help young people who are caught in addiction to online games? I know these are young people who suffer, and for me as a mother, I share in the responsibility. Sometimes I feel at a loss, and I often have hurtful words to try to do something. How can I help the young people and their parents? <laughs> Faplin is going to answer this question because Ty is in him.
a surprise. Poplin says, darn it, I picked the wrong question. Sister Shin Kong is trying to um, trying to organize the the, quest, the the line of people that are waiting to ask questions. What I said was that this question will be answered by Faplin because I am in him. Faplin is beet red right now. Dear Thai, dear Sangam, I can try to start an answer and maybe Thai will help me afterwards. Video games for a young person can seem very interesting. It occupies our attention. Something to occupy our mind that allows us to not have to be in touch with the suffering that may be there. Feeling loneliness, despair or anger. I think we need to try to offer young people an alternative, something that's interesting enough to be able to compete with video games. And I think we can try to nourish in young people the seed of the desire to help and to love. Because without that bodhicitta, we are really lost in our life. We cannot know any direction. Life doesn't have much meaning. If we don't have a good aspiration, a good direction, maybe we can try to offer the young people activities that are interesting enough getting them connected with other young people who are interested in meditation practice. We have created in our community a movement for young people that can be found a little bit everywhere now. It's the Wake Up Movement. And we see that a big number of young people pretty much everywhere have started to touch the seed of the wish to help, 
to contribute something. They are getting together in groups to do projects. Right now there's a group that is <coughs> putting up an ecological elementary school. These are young Europeans who are doing this as volunteers. So there are many possibilities like this. Things that we can offer. I encourage the young people to look at the wake-up site. Maybe there are some videos on there that will interest them. I think we have to try to work together to find ways of presenting the practice so that it's interesting enough and attractive enough to the young people. This is the beginning of an answer. Ty said, it's very good. I think we are too busy as parents. We don't have enough time for our children. And our children, even when they are still very young, there's already suffering there. There's emptiness and loneliness. So the mantra, I am here for you, it's very important. We have to say that to him, to her. We have to... We have to talk with young people and find out about their aspirations and their suffering. We look for a pleasure. We seek to consume. It's because we have suffering. We want to fill up that hole in us through consumption. We think that with electronic devices we can communicate better. But in fact, communication has become very difficult. Even with highly sophisticated communication tools, we're very alone in life. I have learned from the brothers and sisters who just offered a retreat in China, that even in China, everybody's using cell phones and everything like that. I believe that loneliness has increased in everyone. So real communication is the answer. We need to have the time for ourselves and for those we love. We have to change our idea of what is happiness and success. Happiness is not money. It's not fame, power. Happiness is freedom. To be there in the present moment, happiness is understanding. We understand suffering we understand other people. Happiness is compassion. So if we have enough understanding and compassion, we will use our time 
looking for more ways to hide, to fill up that emptiness inside. So in this society of so much consumption, we consume to avoid suffering. We seek pleasure to avoid suffering. But the basic practice is to handle our suffering. We have to master the art of the practice to be able to transform suffering into understanding, into compassion. In Plum Village, our brothers and sisters have already started forming school teachers, professors, on applied ethics, global ethic. We have mm, trained teachers like that in Thailand, in France, in America, in the UK, so that they can practice mindfulness. We can help people practice to reduce tension in their body, to reduce the pain in the body, so they can know how to generate a real feeling of joy and happiness. And so they can know how to handle a suffering, a pain. So they can, the young people can say to their parents, they can talk with their parents using loving speech and restore communication. And to realize reconciliation. It's possible for a young person to go home and talk to their dad. Dad, I know you've suffered a lot in these past years. And I have responded with anger because I didn't understand your suffering, your difficulties. Dad, it's not my intention to make you suffer. It's because I don't know your suffering and your difficulties and you have to help me. Dad, you have to tell me your suffering and your difficulties and that way I won't react the way I have in the past. If you don't help me, who will help me? So the, the child can use this kind of language and the teacher can teach this applied ethics in school. There are young people who have come to practice with us in retreats. And when they've gone back home, they've been able to use loving speech and deep listening in this way to reconcile with their parents. So these kinds of things can be 
taught in class. It's possible to teach the practice of mindfulness in a secular, a non-sectarian, non-religious language so that everyone can make use of it and we can help people in that way. Help them to be able to get in touch with their own suffering. We can help young people to handle their own suffering and to help their parents and friends to handle the suffering in them. There's some work to do here with mindfulness. It is possible. Less consumption, more brotherhood and sisterhood, that's the solution. My name is Vanessa. I don't practice. I'm here for the first time. I'm very moved to be here with you, and I thank life for this wonderful present moment offering me this great gift. When I was a child, I was sexually abused by my father. That experience, which is part of the path of my life, has caused me a lot of suffering and continues to cause me suffering. Suffering in the body, but most of all suffering in the mind. Sometimes, I think I have forgiven my father and that I'm already on the path of healing. But sometimes, like right now, I tell myself there's still quite a long way to go. Dear Tai, if I found the courage to ask today, it's because I really, deeply in my heart, want to go to full healing and forgiveness and to be able to go forward more serenely in my everyday life. Thank you. The energy that will enable you to heal is compassion. So what you need is to know how to generate the energy of compassion. 
were not very fortunate, not so fortunate as to meet the practice. They have never known the practice of the five mindfulness trainings. If those people had had the chance to meet the practice, they would have done differently. So we can tell ourselves that person was not fortunate. I am fortunate. I'm going to do this for him. He's still alive in us. He suffers in me. With the practice, I'm going to heal myself and I'm going to help him to heal in me. And I make the vow to protect all the children in the present and the future so that they never fall into the situation that I had in the past. When that desire, that aspiration is born in you, it gives you a lot of energy, the energy of action coming from compassion that will start to heal. You can heal yourself. We can heal our ancestors, our parents, and we can help to heal future generations. So the energy that we need is compassion and aspiration, bodhicitta. It will help to protect. With that wonderful aspiration to protect, to help young people, we become a bodhisattva. For the protection of future generations. There are things we can do to protect children. And with that compassion toward those who have done wrong, with that aspiration to protect and to help and to rescue, we can heal very quickly. The moment you make the vow to protect others, the future children, Healing begins already. We should make good use of the present moment.
May I ask my question in English? If I plunge this translating, Despair is the worst thing that can happen to us. 
We need a practice to be able to transform despair. First of all, we need to identify with Mother Earth, with our planet. We can see, say to ourselves, I am in Mother Earth and Mother Earth is in me. Mother Earth is not just matter. Mother Earth is also an intelligence because the planet has given birth to Buddhas, to Bodhisattvas, to saints. So the earth is not just a block of inanimate matter. So there is intelligence and insight in the earth. When you can identify with the earth, you can benefit from that insight of the earth. We should remember that the earth gave birth to Buddhas, to thousands and thousands of Buddhas, thousands and thousands of Bodhisattvas. Buddha Shakyamuni is a child of the earth. Jesus Christ is also a child of the earth. There are saints, they are children of the earth, and we are inf- children of the earth. <coughs> and in history, it has happened at times that some species went extinct, disappeared. Several times there have been mass extinctions. It could be that Homo sapiens is going to disappear in a few hundred years if we don't change. It's possible that men and women will disappear in about a hundred or a hundred and fifty years. It's entirely possible. And this civilization will disappear just as other civilizations have been wiped out in the past. This is quite possible. It's happened before in history, in the history of this planet. It wouldn't be something new. So we have to learn to accept the end of this civilization and the disappearance of Homo sapiens. We have to accept the possibility of the extinction of this civilization and and of the presence of Homo sapiens. This is possible. And Mother Earth will wait patiently. Maybe it will be another hundred million years before Earth generates another species like this. But for Earth, A million years is nothing in geological time. So I think we need to look deeply, we need to study history, and we should learn to accept the end of our civilization 
and the disappearance of humans on earth, maybe in a hundred years or a little bit more. And we, along with Mother Earth, we may have to wait a million years, ten million years, a hundred million years for humans to reappear. But who says that we won't have a chance? Because awakening, a collective enlightenment, a collective awakening could happen at any time. And when the collective awakening comes, we may have another chance. So we can do both of these things at once, accept our end and continue working so that we can have the chance to put that end off. We can remain free of despair and keep hope. Those two things can go together. Do you understand? This is thoroughly explained in the book, The World We Have. suffering when that person does not uh, have any faith? How can we keep our respect for the one we love and not impose anything on him or her? Thank you. to the person 
who suffers and is dying and offer our presence, I'm here for you. And we can talk about birth and death as two aspects of life. We can talk about the cloud. The cloud that is floating in the sky but has already sent half of itself down to earth. And about the cloud looking down, seeing the other half of itself in the form of a river, in the form of snow. And the cloud will say to the river, I will join you soon. There is no death, there is only continuation in a new manifestation. The end of a manifestation can be an opportunity to manifest in another way, even a better way. So we can speak about this and we don't need to use any Buddhist or religious language. We can say that with this wisdom, with this insight, when the cloud falls down in the form of rain, the cloud doesn't have to cry, it can sing. And the rain is singing. I had to really water my seeds of courage to come up here. Even though I've been coming to Plum Village for quite a while, I really had to do a lot of watering to come up and ask my question. A little more than a year ago, you offered us your vision for a practice center in the southeast of France, the Dharma Mountain. That place has not yet taken any physical manifestation. Nevertheless, the seed has sprouted in me and is flowering, and I can testify that Dharma Mountain is alive in me. It has allowed me to improve my understanding of others with the support of humor and the gathas that you offered uh, for the Lunar New Year last time was, let's be there for each other, let's listen to each other. 
Last fall, we had a retreat with 20 lay people and five monks and nuns. And during that retreat, we nourished our brotherhood and sisterhood. I was able to give a meaning to words like brother and sister in the Dharma. However, here's my question, and I need your clarification. What does it mean to live as a fourfold Sangha? What is that? Without suffering from complexes of superiority, inferiority, and equality. Thank you. We need a center in the city so that the people who live in the city can come and practice. In Paris, we have the Maison de l'Inspire. Other big cities like Toulouse, Lyon, we should establish practice centers in those cities. That's your assignment. That's your homework and your aspiration. And we should have also countryside practice centers like Upper Hamlet and Lower Hamlet, Plum Village, like we are here. And I would really like us to have a mountain center. It should be a real mountain, high enough. We have to find one. Dharma Mountain is already there in our heart and one day it will manifest. We shouldn't be in a hurry. We should prepare properly so that the center will be beautiful and it should offer the conditions for dozens of monastics to live there and welcome practitioners to come, lay practitioners. So for me, the center is already there. It's already there in my heart, and I love it. Dharma Mountain. There are beautiful mountains in France. We should choose. We will sit and contemplate the clouds at the top of the mountain. The most important thing is that we have the intention regarding the fourfold Sangha. We can just look at our hand, the fingers on our hand. My hand has five fingers. Here's two, there's three. So every finger has its own name. Thumb, index, ring finger, pinky, 
the middle finger. And each finger is distinct. But as there is the wisdom of non-discrimination in my hand, there's no discrimination at all. And every finger acts without any complex, and that's why there's peace and cooperation in my hand. If you are a monk or a nun or a lay man or a lay woman, you can act in that way. If there's no discrimination in each member of the community, then there will be peace. The thumb has to be the thumb. The index finger has to be the index finger. A monk has to be a real monk. He has to practice his precepts correctly, and a nun has to be a real nun. She has to practice correctly. Members of the order of interbeing, they have their 14 precepts to live. They need to live them as members of order of the interbeing. And lay friends who have received the five mindfulness trainings also can be bodhisattvas. We are not caught by appearances, by names. We are free of labels and even experiences. In the Nottingham retreat that we just gave last month in England, here's what I said. Dear friends, the Buddha is made of only non-Buddha elements. Just as a flower is made of non-flower elements, the Buddha is made of non-Buddha elements, including suffering. Without suffering, there is no Buddha. And Buddhism is also made of non-Buddhism elements. So we don't need to have any complex of superiority or inferiority. We're free. We're free of the Buddha. We're free of Buddhism. And that's why we have so much space in our heart. So if we can remove the labels, forms, we can have peace and no problems between the various elements of a true Sangha. A true Sangha is the bearer of the Buddha and the Dharma. There's mindfulness, there's the practice of the precepts. These are the refuge of many people who have come. Dear friends, today we have our last opportunity to have walking meditation together. We will walk in such a way that the kingdom of God is possible in the here and now. We have to invest our entire body and mind in making one step. We arrive 100% in every step. 
If you are able to do that today, then tomorrow or the next day when you're back home in your hometown, you can do the same and continue in the same way. With one in-breath, with steps taken in mindfulness, we can very well arrive in the present moment to touch the kingdom of God, the wonders of life that are in us and around us. That's the training. I walk like that. There is no day when I don't walk in that way. I always walk in the pure land of the Buddha and the kingdom of God. And the gift that you receive is something very precious, the kingdom of God. The kingdom is available. We don't have to die to get in. We have to be very alive. And do you know what to do to be alive? Breathe mindfully. Walk mindfully. And there you are in the kingdom. We have to train ourselves to walk and to breathe in this way. And everywhere we have the Sangha to support us. All around us is Plum Village. Everywhere we go, the Buddha is with us. I wish you a good, happy walk today. Thank you.